Hello and welcome to worship. I'm Pastor Jason. We're so glad that you've joined us today. As we worship together, we're going to have some songs, some time to pray, and we're going to hear a sermon called It's Only Nine O'Clock in the Morning, and it's a part of our All Together Now series. As we worship together today, if you're new, we'd love for you to check in. We've got a Starbucks gift card we'd love to send to you. And if you've been around here for a while, we'd invite you to take a moment and share this service with your friends. Invite them to join us in worshiping the Lord together. Now would you join me in listening to Sheila Pippen as she shares with us some ways we can connect here at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Sheila. Over the past several weeks, we've seen a lot of new friends joining us in person and online for worship. We'd like to invite you to be a part of a special gathering on Tuesday, January 12th at 6 p.m. called All In. This virtual gathering will allow you an opportunity to meet our pastors, to find ways you can become involved in ministry, and to learn more about the ministries of Schweitzer Church. You can register for this special event by going to sumc.co slash all in. January is a great time to grow deeper in your faith or become connected in a Bible study or a small group class. We have several classes for you to choose from that go everywhere from prayer to Proverbs to leadership to sermon discussions. We invite you to become a part of one of these classes by going to sumc.co slash classes. Also in February, we'll be launching sermon discussion groups as part of our next series. If you're interested in leading one of these groups in your home or online, there will be a training session on January 17th from 6 to 7 p.m. You can contact David Freeman if you have more questions at dfreeman at sumc.co or you can sign up online at sumc.co slash training. Thanks, Sheila, for letting us know how we can engage here at Schweitzer. Now, as we get ready to worship and song, I'd encourage you to participate in the chat feature or if you'd like someone to pray with you, hit the prayer button. Let's worship together. Your love is my battle cry 
Friends, as we come to a time of prayer, one of the ways that we can pray is to be guided by the scriptures. And in the midst of the text that we're going to read today, we're going to hear Peter quote from the prophet Joel about how the Lord made promises and the Lord fulfilled his promises by sending his spirit on women and men, on young and old. And there is great rejoicing. I wonder, what, is the pro- what are some of the promises that the Lord has made to you? And what, is, what are some of the promises the Lord has made to his church? And as we come to a time of prayer, let us together reflect on the promises that have been made and how God has fulfilled those. And let us give thanks to the Lord for his promises that he's kept to us. Let's name some of those. Lord, we give you thanks for the promises that you've made to us and the promises you've kept. We look forward to walking with you into the future, to seeing how the promises you've made will be continue to be fulfilled. We give you thanks. Now, friends, one of the things that we also need to bring to the Lord are the challenges that we face. I've recently been reading John Perkins' book called One Blood, where he talks about the challenge of racism that faces the church. And and the world, and he says, we need a power that's greater than what we have in ourselves. We need a Holy Spirit power. You know, for many of the challenges that we face, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So in the next few moments, I would just invite you to think about the challenges you face and to present them to the Lord and to ask the Lord to send his Holy Spirit to speak and to guide, to comfort and to give courage. Let's bring our challenges before the Lord today. Lord, we, we hear Peter say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today, in thanksgiving and in presenting to you our challenges, we call upon your name. We ask for your power and your presence to be at work in us. And we ask that you would help us be your people, fully present in this world and fully glorifying you. And with all of our prayers, Lord, we ask that you would continue to shape us as your people and to give us faith and to shape us into the image of Jesus as we follow his words, as he guides us in praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 2020 was a difficult year for all of us. But one of the things that we were encouraged to do was to stay flexible. And we persevered. And you know what? The Lord did some incredible things in our midst. In the next few moments, we want to share with you some highlights from 2020 of what God was up to in this place. Let's take a look. We are so thankful for what God's done in 2020. A lot of that was made possible because God's people were faithful in giving their tithes and their offerings. We are looking ahead to 2021 what, to what God wants to do with us. So today we have an opportunity to give, to participate with what God is up to. Giving is really easy if you use the Church Center app. You can go to the App Store, look for Church Center, and then download that and look for Schweitzer. And it makes easy giving from a week-to-week basis. Or you can go to sumc.co slash give and give today. Thanks for your faithful giving and being a part of what God is doing through Schweitzer. Now, we're going to continue in our worship with a song and a great message from Pastor Spencer. Let's enter into worship again.
Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer and I'm the pastor. Today is part two of our series called All Together Now. We're starting the year off reading from the first few chapters of the book of Acts as we discover and explore how it is that the the Christian movement got started and spread throughout the entire world. And one of the things we're going to see as we go through this series, just week after week, we're going to see example after example after example about how God uses normal ordinary people to to change the world. And this is really the story of Acts. So if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, Acts follows on the heels of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell the story of Jesus' life, his his death, his his crucifixion, his resurrection. And then, you know, after that, you're kind of left with like, well, what now? And well, Acts picks up that story and tells us what happens afterwards. What what do his first followers do in order to change the world and change the course of history? And and is the reason why we're here today. So we're reading through these, these first few chapters of the book of Acts, and we're just seeing examples after example after example about how God uses normal, ordinary people to absolutely change the world. And so my hope as we go through this, as, as we look through these, these folks who God uses, my hope is that, that we see ourselves in these, that there'll be people along the way that, that we can recognize ourselves. And, and as we do this, we can see how, how God is using them. We can also see how God wants to use us because God wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use all of us. Uh, to make a difference in this world, to change uh, the people around us, to change circumstances, to, to impact our families. And, and I just, as we go through this, I think this is an inspiring part of the Bible as we look at how God wants to use all of us uh, to change the world because all of us have a role to play. So Acts starts off with this, with this promise of Jesus. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We looked at it last week as Jason started this series. And Acts 1-8 is really the whole theme of the book of Acts. It's a promise that's given by Jesus. And, and it goes like this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Just expanding the witness and the testimony that we have of Christ. And this is really the, the whole storyline of the book of Acts, is that normal people are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're empowered by God. And they become a witness that spreads from Jerusalem outward into the ends of the earth. And, and it's not just the storyline of the book of Acts. It's really the storyline of Christian history that, that we stand on their shoulders and, and just history of normal, ordinary people who are encountering God. And when they do, they're filled with God's spirit. They're filled with God's power and they become a witness. And so we're looking at, at these folks and, and exploring what this looks like. And today we're gonna be in Acts chapter two. Probably the most famous part of the book of Acts is the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. Um, Acts 2, it, it's really about this, this promise that's been given. What happens when people encounter God, when encounter the Holy Spirit? What happens when they receive the power that God has for them in order to, to be a witness? And Acts 2 starts to tell us the story. So here's how it goes. Acts 2 verse 1 it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now we're going to read a whole lot of verses today, but as we go, I'm going to take some breaks because I really want us to catch some details as we work through here because this is such a rich passage. And so a couple things here, just to start, we've read one line so far, but just a couple things. First of all, they're all together in one place. That's what we read. So natural question, who's together in one place? Is it the the leaders? Is it the 12 apostles? Is it, is it the, the certain disciples? And here's the answer, everybody all of the Christians, every single Christian on earth is in one place. They're in a room, the upper room, and all of them are together. At this point in history, uh, there's like 120 Christians on the whole earth. We know this from Acts chapter one, tells us, I think it's in verse 15, it tells us that there's about 120 Christians on the whole earth, which is just a staggering idea that 
that on this day, the birthday of the church, there's 120 people who believe that Jesus is alive. Now, just for comparison's sake, on a normal Sunday like today, we're going to have about 1,200 people who worship with us either online or in person. So I imagine like, man, if God did this with 120 people, what can he do with 1,200 people who are filled with the Spirit? So they're all together in one place. It's the day of Pentecost, a major holiday, which means that there's going to be people in to Jerusalem from all over the place. And they're gathered in Jerusalem. This is a big, big holiday of Pentecost. And as they're there, we also think about this promise, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, because there's people from all over who have gathered together um, in Jerusalem. So it's the day of Pentecost. They're all together in one place. And then verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. A, a sound like the blowing of the violent wind. And notice it's, it's like the sound of a, of a violent wind. It's, it's, it sounds like this. It's not actually that. They're not a drafty house. There's this sound that sounds like that reminds them of this. And of course, we think in the Bible about how God has often moved through violent winds. I think about, for instance, the people of Israel after they're rescued from Egypt and slavery and they're camped on the banks of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army's coming after them. And do you remember what the Bible says about how they were rescued that day? It says that a wind began to blow over the waters of the Red Sea and it parted it and they could walk through. I think about Elijah as he's up on the mountain after having a victory, but he feels like it's a defeat and he's all depressed and he needs to meet with God. And it says that God shows up and speaks to him. And one of the ways it describes is a wind that blows across the mountain and splits the rocks. Or I think about Jesus talking to Nicodemus about the need to be born again. And he tells Nicodemus that the wind blows wherever it wants. He's talking about the spirit, how the spirit moves however it wants. Or I think about how in the Hebrew Bible, in the New Testament as well, in Hebrew and Greek both, that that the word spirit in both those original languages actually means, means wind. Like whenever you read the wind in the Bible, it's a bit of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like pay attention here. Something about, is about to happen. So they're in this room. This wind is blowing. Um, this, this wind is blowing. And, and then verse three says, they saw what seemed to be, again, seemed to be, not actually, literally, it looks like this, the best they can describe it as. They seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or, or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I don't know what two words or what words you might've caught here, but there's two I hope you did. Two words in those verses I hope you caught. Um, each and all, as in each of them had the tongues of fire separated on them and all of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in these other languages. It's not just a few people this happened to. It's not just like Peter and Matthew and James and John, like the 12. It's like all of them experienced this. This is for every follower of Jesus. All the 120 who are gathered in that room all of them had this experience of the Holy Spirit coming on them because it's not just for the leaders. It's not just for those with microphones. It's not just for those who are up front. It's for all of us. All of us might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse five, let's keep reading here. It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, which is probably a bit of an exaggeration, but you get the point. People from all over the place. Verse six, and when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Verse seven, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Which is a, a really interesting question. Just kind of as an aside. Because I'm left wondering to myself, like, how did they know they were Galileans? All of these people are in from out of town. So how did they know that this group was all 
Galileans, and, and it's kind of a hard question because they're also speaking other languages. Like, it's not like, how did, they, how did they know this? And so some people have imagined that maybe the reason why they knew they were Galileans is because while they were speaking these other languages, they still had an accent, which I think is hilarious. It's just an amazing, like, really funny thought that, that God gives them the supernatural ability to speak in other languages. This miraculous event takes place with the gift of tongues, and yet they still speak as if <laughs> with an accent. I just think that's really, really funny. But this is some people have proposed this. Maybe this is why they know they're Galileans. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I just find that to be really, really funny. Let's keep going here. Um, verse, verse, uh, verse 8 says, Then how is it that you just hears them speaking in their native languages? And then goes on. Here's the languages. Um, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, uh, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, for those of you keeping score at home, that's, um, that's 16 different nations and languages that have shown up that are expressed this day. And there's two things about this I just I want us to, to, to hear. Um, one, Everyone who showed up that day, these 16 different languages, every single person who's in Jerusalem for Pentecost would have been able to speak Greek. Every single person. It is the language of everybody. And it had been for like 400 years. Ever since Alexander the Great conquered the world, Greek was the language that everyone spoke. And yet when God shows up and this miracle takes place on Pentecost, they're not speaking their second language. They're speaking their primary language. There's, there's something about how personal God is in, in this, that, that they speak to these people and declare the wonders of God in their, in their own uh, primary languages. And the second thing I just, we got to, I want you to connect here is, to connect some dots with the Bible is, as this miracle of Pentecost takes place, it reminds us of another time in the Bible where uh, God again used language to, uh, to do a miraculous work. And we think about Genesis chapter 11, where God uses language in the Tower of Babel, not to bring people together, but to spread people because of a consequence of sin. Because while sin has caused division, when Jesus' work is now being expressed to the people in Pentecost, people are coming back together through language. This is what salvation looks like, is that while there may be division among us, what the Lord does is He brings us back together. It's a, it's a picture of, of, of salvation. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Verse 12, let's keep reading here. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. <laughs> Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all who live in, in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning for crying out loud. They're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And Peter's going to go on for a lot of verses here. And he's going to preach this sermon. He's going to describe what the prophet Joel described and, and predicted that when the Holy Spirit comes upon his people, that they will come on young and old. They'll come on male and female. Come on all of us. That, that all who belong to the Lord would, would be filled with the Spirit. They would dream dreams and have visions. And that this is what the Lord would do as he brings refreshing and salvation and renewal to the earth. And, and this is the work. And Peter describes this work of Christ and what it is he's done. And so we skip down to, to verse 38. Where, where Peter's wrapping up his very first sermon. Here's how he describes it. Verse 38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for 
all whom the Lord our God will, will call. And the Bible then tells us, you keep reading here, that 3,000 people will respond to Peter's first sermon on this day of Pentecost, the day that the, the church is born. 120 to 3,000 as, as the Spirit has been given to the church. Now, there have been like books and books and books and books and books written about Acts chapter 2. And there's so much we could say. I mean, we could just do a long series just on Acts 2 because there's so much. But I just, I want to point out two things here. Just two, two things from all of Acts chapter 2. And here's the first one. Um, we need to talk about the elephant in the room. Because I think whenever you talk about Acts chapter 2, there's a bit of an elephant in the room that you got to talk about. You need to, you need to name it and kind of describe it a little bit. And that is this gift of speaking in tongues. Like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? I mean, we're, we're in Springfield, Missouri. There is a major denomination here in town that emphasizes speaking in tongues. There is a, a movement across the world it's called Pentecostalism that, that emphasizes the speaking in tongues. And, and there's this movement that's actually the fastest growing Christian movement really around the world is this is a speaking in tongues. Maybe you've had interactions with, with folks who do or, or you, 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 you've, you've gone through that. And, and there's just a, a whole lot of questions of like, what do you do with this speaking in tongues and how do we understand this and how do we think about this? And so um, you, may, you may not know this about me, but I, I had some experience with, with Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism is this, this idea based on Pentecost here in Acts chapter 2 that, that what God wants to do for all of us is he wants to fill us with the Spirit. The Pentecostals often call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and when they do this, the evidence that you've been filled with the Spirit is that you will speak in tongues. And the evidence that you have the Spirit then is that you speak in tongues. That's why it's emphasized. And I have some experience with Pentecostal. I went to a Pentecostal college, uh, Oral Roberts University in Tulsa. And some of you hear the name Oral Roberts and you're of a certain generation, you know who exactly that is. And others of us younger, on the younger side, hear that, and you're like, I have no idea who that guy is, but, or he was a very Pentecostal school, and we had, we had chapel at this, this Pentecostal school. It was um, twice a week, mandatory chapel that you had to go to, all the, the whole student body, all like 5,000 people go to chapel twice a week. It was mandatory, else you had to pay money, you didn't have college student, you didn't have any money, so you went to chapel, and chapel is basically a church service. Every, every, um, every time you went as a church service, there's music, there's, you know, preaching, there's a prayer time, it's a, it's a church service, and, and every time it would come to the prayer, like after the music, before the preaching, um, someone would always stand up with a microphone and they would, they would pray in tongues. You know, as a Methodist kid, I grew up Methodist. I, I heard that the first time. I was like, that, that's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I, I don't quite, quite know what's going on, but this is what, what happens in, in, in Pentecostal churches and Pentecostal folks is that they, they pray in tongues. This is a, a normal thing that would happen, um, you know, in, 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 in Pentecostalism. But, but sometimes what takes place is that, that tongues becomes like, everything. It becomes so important. So I would, I would have classmates who would, who would say to me, you know, Spencer, you don't have the Spirit unless you speak in tongues. Or others would say even like, you're not even saved if you don't speak in tongues. And I'm, you know, again, Methodist kid. I'm like, really? I'm not even saved if I don't have the tongue. Like, can you show me that in the Bible where, where the Bible says that? I'd, I'd love to see it. I'll, I'll wait. You can show it to me. But, but this is like the, the divide that sometimes starts to take place with between people who speak in tongues and those who don't. And sometimes tongues becomes this, this thing of like, if you speak in tongues, you have the Spirit. And if you don't, you don't have the Spirit and you're lacking, therefore. And sometimes people end up feeling bad that they don't speak in tongues. I have a really good friend who's also a pastor, also went to ORU. Not at the same time I met him later, but, but he went to ORU and, and he grew up in a Pentecostal church. And he tells a story about how growing up, he, he never 
never spoke in tongues and he always wanted to speak in tongues, but he never did. And so he would go forward at the altar call time. And as he's going forward at the altar call time, the, the preacher was there and, and he's calling people forward to come and lay hands on them. They, they pray that they might speak in tongues. And, and he's, he's being called for, he comes forward and he's, he's wanting to speak in tongues. But my friend is like so kind and so nice that nothing's happening. And the guy just keeps getting more energized. He's praying, more passionate, nothing's happening. He just starts to feel bad for him. So he starts to speak. He's fluent in Spanish. He starts to speak in Spanish just so the guy feels like something's happened. Hilarious story, but, but, but also really sad because sometimes when you, when you come across Acts 2 or things like this, you know, tongues becomes everything. You become fixated on this. And this is what happens, I think, in some corners of the church, that tongues becomes everything that this is about. But that leads me to the second thing I want, I want to say about uh, Acts chapter 2 is that when you make the day of Pentecost about speaking in tongues, you totally miss what this is really about. Because this isn't about people speaking another language. This, this isn't about just this miracle that God does. This is about some people whose lives were radically changed when they encountered the Holy Spirit. This is about the promise that Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Do you remember the promise? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It doesn't say you will speak in tongues when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It says you, you will receive power. Now, I firmly believe and accept and, and, and want to live into the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but you can't make this just about that because really what this is about is the power that God wants to give to change your life and my life and everyone's life, that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we might be his witnesses. We, we might be so changed that we begin to tell everyone we know about this work that God has done. I mean, I think that the great miracle of Acts chapter 2 is not that they're speaking in these other languages, but rather it's that these 120 people, ordinary, normal people, were so filled with God's power that they had to leave the room to tell everyone they knew about this. And these 120 people who've been locked away, probably really afraid because of what they saw had done to Jesus, they were so courageous at this point that they leave to tell everyone they can about the wonders of God and what it is that God has done. There's, there's transformation in this story. And really probably the clearest picture of transformation is Peter himself. I mean, think about Peter for just, just a second. Six weeks before this takes place, Peter is having dinner with Jesus. And, and you remember how this dinner goes? It's the Last Supper. Jesus talks about his body, how it's going to be broken like the bread. He takes a cup of wine. He talks about his blood is going to be spilled like the wine and, and shed for them. And do you remember what Peter said to all that? Peter hears Jesus talk about his death, talks about the bread, talks about the wine, his body and his blood. And, and, and Peter's like, nah, Jesus, that's not going to happen. No way. No way. He's like, Jesus, anyone who goes after you has got to come through me. That's what Peter's like as, as, he, as he's describing this. Like, Jesus, anything that, that they're going to do, man, I got your back. No, nothing like that's going to happen. In fact, this is, this is actually what he says. Um, Luke chapter, chapter 22. This is how Peter replies when, when Jesus describes these things. He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. <laughs> big words spoken by a, by a big mouth. But then, of course, Jesus gets arrested and and Peter tries to come and follow along with him and they go to the courtyard of the prison. And you remember how Peter, he's, he's out there, he's warming his hands by the fire and, and, and someone asks him, they say, you were with Jesus. You remember what Peter said? Luke 22, 57. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little while later, someone else comes up to him. He's like, no, 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 no. I saw you with Jesus. And, and what does Peter say? Luke 22, 58. Man, I'm not. I don't know who you're talking about. I wasn't with him. And then one more time, Luke 22, 60. Again, someone comes up to him this and says, you, you were with Jesus. And he says, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Like this big talk that he had about staying with Jesus and defending Jesus and, and, and walking with Jesus and, and having his back, all of a sudden, when it gets hard, he, he's nowhere to be found. And of course, Jesus is beaten, he's tried, he's crucified, and three days later, he's alive. He shows up to, to Peter and the other apostles, he shares himself, his, his resurrected body, lets them know who he is and, and how, where he is now, and, and his life begins to change. He tell, tells them that they need to wait in Jerusalem because the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come on them. And, and now when this happens, the power of the Holy Spirit comes on them, what, what happens to Peter is that Peter stands before thousands and he declares the wonders of God. The same one who denied him in the courtyard is now preaching to thousands. This is, this is the transformed life. And, and it happens over a period of just a short amount of time. This was six weeks ago where he's betraying and denying that he even knows Christ. And now he's utterly transformed. And, and Pentecost, of course, isn't about Peter. It's about the 119 other people who are with him who are also transformed in this way where they had to leave in order to share this goodness of what God has done for them. I mean, the miracle of Pentecost is that these normal, ordinary people are so empowered by the Holy Spirit that God uses them to bring 3,000 other people to himself. That these normal, ordinary people are so filled with the Holy Spirit that they can declare the wonders of God in courageous and bold ways. This is the, the miracle of, of Pentecost. And there's nothing special about these people. There's nothing special about Peter, for instance. In fact, I think the reason why maybe Peter is lifted up among the other 119 who were there is because it's like, man, if God can do this with Peter, this guy, then he can do it with anybody. He can change anybody's life. This is the miracle of Pentecost, is that when we encounter the Holy Spirit, we encounter God's power in our life. We're going to be a witness. We're going to testify and we're going to share the wonders of God with the world. This is, this is the promise that's available to all of us. And not just them in Bible times, but even us now. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, like your expectation needs to be Acts 1.8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That you'll receive power to be a witness, not to speak in tongues or have other things maybe happen, which, which would be great, but, but really the, the, the promise is that, is that you might be a witness. That the same Holy Spirit that filled you is filling them. The same Holy Spirit that moved then wants to move in your life. And this is the promise that we see throughout the New Testament. I think about verses like these. I think about Ephesians 1.13, this promise that we have, that we have the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, it says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This is what's available to you. Romans 5, 5 says this, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Listen to this last line. Who has been given to us? He's been available to you. Romans 8, 11 says the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Luke eleven thirteen, 13, Jesus says this. He says, if you then know you are, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The promise of Acts is the promise for you and it's the promise for me that all of us might live in the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. So just a few minutes, we're, moments, we're gonna, we're gonna pray together and, and I just wanna pray that, that God might fill us again with the Spirit. And I don't know what that's gonna look like, but what I can expect to happen is that we might be filled with His power in order to be a witness. That there are people in our life that we can be a witness to in our life and our word and our deeds. That we can have courage and boldness and wisdom and, and how to share the good news with those around us and how to be used by God. That, that we might have gifts that move in our life because it comes from the Lord and we might be able to live into those gifts. That this is the kinds of things that happen when we're filled with the Spirit. 
and that we might raise our expectations to live into what God wants to be true for us. This promise of Pentecost, the promise of Acts 1-8, that we might receive the power when we come in contact with the Holy Spirit, the power of God to be a witness in this world. So let's pray together. And so Father, today, um, I, I want to pray that you might fill us with your Holy Spirit. I read through this story and I don't see special people, unique people. I see ordinary people that you are able to use in just amazing ways. And like them, we want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Filled that we might be a witness to the world, that we might be a witness to the people we love, that we might be a witness to our neighbors, our family, the people we work with, that we might be a witness to the amazing um, works of God in our life in the world. And so I pray for those who may be timid, who maybe hear this idea of being a witness and it terrifies them. I pray for courage and boldness. I pray for wisdom that we would be those who speak the words of God and with grace and truth. I pray for gifts of the Spirit to give us wisdom and knowing how to navigate things, but Lord, that you might pour out your power on our life, that we might be a witness because this promise that we read in Acts, it's for us. It's for us that we might live the life that honors you and that you use to make a difference. Every single one of us. That when we belong to you, you fill us with your spirit. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Yeah.
caverns of my soul Pour in me to overflow Spirit come and fill this place Let your glory It has been great to be with you today and to share this message of, of the good news promise that the Holy Spirit has been given for all of us. And so you have the gift of the Spirit in your life and you follow Christ and He wants to use you to make a difference in other people's lives. Hey, today I want to say thank you to those who, who've offered their gifts, our leaders, our musicians to making this service happen. You all are making a big difference in our church. Thank you for using your gifts every single week. And if this has been helpful for you, I encourage you to share this. You can do that on social media, text, email folks. Um, share this out so that others can hear the good news message of what God wants to do in their life.